everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and a Bird Show. And for all of our American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. And for everybody, because I didn't realize this, um, hopefully your Black Friday deals were good and you found some great stuff if you partake in Black Friday. But what I didn't realize, I had always just kind of naturally assumed that Black Friday was an American thing, given how closely tied it is to Thanksgiving and it's the day after Thanksgiving and, and, all, and all of that. But it turns out it's not. It's an international thing. Okay. I... I wouldn't have associated Black Friday with being anything special in terms of deals or sales for anybody really other than the U.S. because, you know, a lot of it happens in the U.S., A, because it's the day after Thanksgiving, but it's a day off because it's the day after Thanksgiving, where most other countries, since they don't celebrate Thanksgiving, they, you know, it's a normal day. But it is still one month before Christmas. It is. And Christmas for those countries that are of Christian heritage of some sort exists. Well, there was video yesterday morning on the Today Show, and I don't know if you've seen it because it's gone kind of viral, of the Black Friday opening of a Canadian Best Buy. Okay. Now... If you think of, you know, all the video we normally see in an American Best Buy or any American store on a Black Friday opening and, you know, the the elbows getting thrown and the people getting shoved and the coffee cups flying through the air and the yelling and the screaming. and I can only imagine the that employees, Canadians Black Friday was very, very polite. The employees ducking for cover as the stampede wore through. Yeah, the Canadian... Best Buy opening, it was a row of employees standing alongside the entrance, and they're all applauding. I mean, it was like an Apple store kind of a thing when, with the phone launch. They're all applauding, but the customers are coming in, and they're just wandering in. There's a guy who's, like, drinking his coffee as he slowly walks in the store. It's this nice little orderly entry in, all I bet there was a Canadian that was holding the door open for people. I mean, they're just so polite. No, it, it was a Best Buy, so they've got the automatic doors. Oh, okay. So they didn't need that. But yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, knowing the Canadians, they'd find a way that they'd ha- they'd be able to hold the door open for somebody. Like he but, would stand there so that he could keep the doors open. Yeah, <laughs> because they're that kind of polite. But like we were watching the Channel Four coverage of the qualifying, and they were advertising Black Friday deals in the Channel Four F one coverage package, and I wouldn't have thought that anybody else would have been doing Black Friday stuff. You know, sales and savings, universal. I know when we watched, um, there were Curry's in England was doing Black Friday events. Well, that's what I was talking about. Curry's and, and PC Warehouse. Carphone yes. Warehouse, that's it. But Curry's pretty much the entire F1 series that we've been seeing, they're always doing some sort of sale. Yes. So it may not be Black Friday. It may just be Random Tuesday. It could be too. So let's talk about Formula One. The last race before we actually before we even get to the last race of the season, we've got stuff going into the last race, and this was one of those other weeks that I thought there'd be a lot of stuff, and it got quiet for a while, and I'm like, um, guys, we st- the season hasn't ended yet. Come on, we got give us something. They're preparing for the quiet time. Well, we got 
at least some track news and some some driver stuff. Yep. Um, it does sound like the Canadian Grand Prix will happen in 2017. There has been a commercial agreement. It sounds like reached that they they need to sign and things will move forward. Um, it does not sound like that they are getting the improvements that they want as or that Formula One wants as fast as Formula One wants them. But it does sound like they are happening. On the other hand, however, uh, the Malaysian Minister of Tourism has said that they will not be extending their deal once it expires in 2018, and we will not have a Malaysian Grand Prix. Well, maybe that'll help Singapore's attendance. I think so. Um, Naziri Abdulaziz, who's the uh, Minister of Tourism for Malaysia, says that once the deal ends in 2018, there will be no more. F1 attendance is dropping, and there is less attraction now. He says they're spending 300 million, I think it's remimbis is their currency out there, works out to 54.7 million pounds a year. Um, and he says that they're just not making money off of it. I can understand. I mean, the extortion fees are ever crazy. Yeah. Um, now, they argued that the youth and sports minister argued for the circuit to drop F1, but wants him to retain some other events, which are apparently much more popular in Malaysia, including MotoGP. Interesting. He said when they first hosted the F1, it was a big deal, first in Asia outside Japan, but now there's so many venues, there's no first mover advantage, so it's not a novelty. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, we've been talking for how many weeks now about the cannibalization of those two tracks? Yeah. So the big question is the race is backed by Petronas, mm -hmm. which is the Malaysian state oil state-owned oil firm, right. which also is a title sponsor for Mercedes. Are they going to try and do something to save it? Are they going to get involved? Could this possibly impact their level of involvement in the sport? I don't know, because I think they support another couple of races, too. They're very involved. They are. Um, we'll see. I don't know. So you have some track news also. I do. I now, do. I, I guess it should not be a surprise, despite the fact that it was on the calendar, that Hockenheim has absolutely no intention of hosting a race next year. Yes, and that has now been confirmed. Now, first and foremost, you have to realize that the official 2017 calendar will not be finalized until the 30th of November. So we've got another week mm -hmm. before we get a final calendar. Um, but rumors are flying. Germany is out. That has now been confirmed by uh, Bad Hair Bernie. <laughs> and so no ex no changes or surprises really on the german grand prix there but we're still waiting for the world sporting council uh, world motor sport council to determine whether this will be a 20 or 21 race season here's the thing there is a racetrack waiting in the wings to take over hockenheim's date if that works out for them to do a 21 race season and that would be emola Emma is sitting kind of around going, hey, remember us? We'd really like to host an F1 event. Which is kind of interesting considering the number of tracks that are starting to view Formula One as a money pit of no hope of ever returning from, that Imola is going, come to us, please. 
Yes, I, I do think that that's a very interesting uh, shift in the way of thinking. Um, now, it would be a pleasant way to end the summer season um, if they did put Imola in there. Now, if they don't do that, there's now talk that there would also be a move of the Hungary race up to Germany's spot um, to kind of yeah. do a little shifting around in the calendar. Again, rumors are just flying, but what that would do would be allow for a four-week summer break versus a three-week summer break, I believe is what... Um, well, the teams want the extra week. So it's it, – those are those are some interesting pieces. Now, with the potential of um, – let's see. The further on, it's expected to be changes in the version of the calendar uh, already published, with Singapore and Malaysia moving around to leave the F1 night race as a standalone event rather than the former, quote, insane schedule hmm. that we saw of the traveling circus out to Asia. Um, so – that's one change. That decision may actually make sense. The other change that's been talking is moving the Baku race. Um, nobody really loves the fact that they were over in Canada and then, like, everything had to go on jets to get over to Baku. The time change just killed people. Um, well, the other thing is, unless you ch- you charter your own flight, in order to get from Montreal to Baku, took the better part of the week anyway. Well, and that's the thing, and this was the quote from the article that I found this information in, is that while the first race in Baku was certainly damaged in both media cover and TV viewership by its positioning on this year's calendar, which saw the Grand Prix competing with Le Mans, mm-hmm. um, the practicalities were also a big challenge. The time difference works against us, Ra- Rakimov said. To be honest, we haven't discussed changing the date with Canada, but we want to move it forwards a little bit. It's a logistical nightmare for ourselves as well. We have six jumbo jets to unload on Tuesday. That's 900 tons of cargo in 24 wow. hours to bring to the circuit. We did it, and the F1 cargo was happy with what we did, but it's a tough job. So there needs to be shifts. So today... It's the 27th of November. So we have three days for Bernie to put pen to calendar and figure out what next year's calendar is going to look like. But if they start dividing Malaysia and Singapore, move the Hungary guarantee, add Emila or not add Emila, drop Germany, and then move Baku, I don't know what the calendar is going to look like. And will Canada really give up that first weekend in June slot? I mean, really? That's been their slot for a while. From a weather perspective, I think that's typically the, the one of the best weekends for them. Um, yeah, we've had some torrential downpours and early season hurricanes roll through and such. But I think from a weather perspective, that's probably one of the best times for them to have it. Um, but moving Baku closer to the European races makes a whole lot better sense. I think that makes better sense. I mean, it just seemed like it was such an out there spot. But you know it was timed to be head to head with Le Mans and that didn't help it either. Yeah. I mean and I don't that think was a that, dumb move. I think that the the sporting um bodies need to work with each other, especially for those major events, and not against each other like that. That that was just that was pride on Bernie's he was upset that Hulkenberg won Le Mans. I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. And so, you know, he's going to act like a bottom. Okay. 
keeping the clean rating, keeping it real. So news out of McLaren, they have named the successor to Ron Dennis after he was unceremoniously um, asked to deal with the weeds in his garden. Well, no, actually, I heard that somebody picked his pockets, took his keys to the uh, technology center, and then just locked him out. That was probably, all of that probably happened around the same, the, the same general time. I mean, they couldn't, they can't exactly tell him, you know, leave and take the horse you rode in on with you because of the fact that he's still. A minority shareholder. Yeah, he still owns a significant chunk of the, the, the organization. However, and he is still threatening to uh, challenge his ouster in court. I thought court came back and said, yeah, too bad, so sad, goodbye. Apparently he's trying again. He's not done yet. He is not going to go down without a fight. Well, I think that he might want to, you know, look at graceful exits. But he yes, is going he to is now rage, rage against the night. Yeah. Um, he is now unofficially on gardening leave. I have to tell you, and this is complete aside, mm-hmm. I love the fact that the Brits are so polite that they call these, you know, being ousted. <laughs> you know, they're not terminated. They're not ousted. That's not a usurping. It's not any of those words. It's He's been placed on gardening leave. Except that is really what happened because his contract doesn't officially expire until January. Mm-hmm. So he's still getting paid. Right. He's been told to take all of his vacation days, and here we'll give you another month off. Go worry about your garden. Yeah. But I get get what it is, but it's just – it's one of those – it's like the Canadians. It's just such a polite way of saying that. I mean, it's not like he's been made redundant. No. Although I guess in a way he has since they have hired Zach Brown, American Zach Brown, to take over the team. And not lead singer of Zach Brown Band. No, different guy. Apparently. Had to Google that. (laughs) totally different guy we've had this discussion already and you were wrong um yeah they brought zach in who was initially expected to take over formula one management as the chairman um and it turns out that an offer was extended to him and he turned it down to take on mclaren instead now according to a interview that zach brown had with eddie jordan Mm -hmm. um on channel four that we watched yesterday Zach Brown was actually, now wait for it, hired by Ron Dennis. Yeah, I caught that. I'm trying to figure that one out. Yeah. Because they didn't really elaborate as to... The the only thing I can think of is that Zach was hired um, in a marketing position because mm-hmm. he is That's known he is. For, for sports and motorsports marketing. And that is actually the whole reason why he has been brought on to take over Ron's position because... Um, Ron is quite likely to blame for chasing some sponsors away. I can't imagine. Not the least of which is Hugo Boss and Tag Heuer, who have been around uh, McLaren for an extremely long time. Well, we'll see what Zach can do to mend that. But I just found it very interesting because he was very quick to say that talks with him coming to McLaren were well underway long before the ousting gardening leave of Ron Dennis. Well, what I think that is, though, is is that was Mansur OJ and Mumtalakat, I believe, is is the 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 Bahraini group, Omani group, the the Arabian group 
of some sort that owns the remaining shares of the company, they have been planning on giving Ron the boot for several months. So I think this was part of their succession planning to get somebody in as quickly as possible. Ah, that, just, That's why I think that those discussions were happening. I just find it interesting that Ron hired the guy that ousted him. So what is Zach Brown's goal? Well, it is for 2018, not 2017, but 2018 to find a title sponsor. Oh, wait. So we're not going to follow in the Ron Dennis footsteps of, in 2017, we will be world champions? No. Oh, good. Would be nice to not hear random <laughs> screaming yeah. at clouds from McLaren for a year. No, because we, we still have Bernie around to handle that. Yes. But but Zach's comments on this. Yes. Is it clearly a title partner is something that on a commercial basis, and it's something that I am most linked to, is going to be critically important. But he would start taking a look at 2018. He says 2017 is already here, and he doesn't have any tricks up his sleeve on that one yet. Um, now, he's described bringing in more sponsors as one of the three key objectives when asked about his new job. He says he doesn't think there's a number one. There are three legs to the stool, and we all need to be successful for it to be a good ecosystem. The first is the fans. I think even though there is no number one, the first is the fans. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. But the first is the fans. He says, I think we as McLaren and F1 as a whole can improve our engagement with our consumers. The more fans we get, the more sponsors we get. And we want our fans buying our sponsors' products and services. And the more sponsors we get, the more money we can put into our race team to go faster. And the faster we go, the more fans we are going to get because they like the teams that are out at the front. All three of these are critically important, and we need to get all three right. Just getting one right won't make the whole system work. Well, I think that he's right. You've got to get all the parts put together. And yeah. I think that that's probably one of the things that Ron failed at is that when something wasn't going well, instead of trying to fix it, he screamed at it. Pretty much. I have just summed up Ron Dennis in a sentence. Except that that sentence was coherent. Yeah. It, it was not phrased in Ron speak. No. I translated from Ron speak. Yeah. <coughs> So moving on in other team news. Yes. It seems that uh, Manor Racing is uh, in advanced talks with a new heretofore unnamed investor to take a majority stake in the team. I hope this is not one of the Russian billionaires that Monisha was talking to. The imaginary Russian billionaires yes. that she used to talk to? Um, but sources suggest, and this is coming from Autosport, sources suggest that uh, Stephen Fitzpatrick, who's currently the owner and saved the team from, extinct, from extinction, is keen to remain involved in the project. Um, it's anticipated that the Manor Racing name will be retained at least in the short term. Um, Manor CEO confirmed to Autosport that they are in discussions with the third party to acquire a majority sh shareholding in the team, but he says there isn't much more that he can say at the moment. But these are advanced stage discussions, and he hopes that they will have positive news very soon. Mm. And, of course, this comes after Manor lost out on somewhere between 13 to $15 million because they got passed by Sauber for construction points. Yes. Ouch. 
And they nearly took each other out in today's race. I know I yeah, just jumped was... ahead, but seriously, that was a little crazy. Yeah. In other team news. Yes. Sebastian Vettel has said that uh, Ferrari really can't be proud of this season. Okay, but we could have said that. Well, I think it says a lot to come from Seb. As, and as, as much as we want to, and, and you'll hear this a few times because I think it's one of my key points for, for the season, um, I think Ferrari was probably one of the biggest disappointments of the season with Williams being pretty close second. Mm -hmm. I mean, we truly expected that Ferrari would be challenging Mercedes. And Australia, it looked like that was what the season was shaping up to be. And it didn't work out that way. No, no. They took some giant step steps in the wrong direction, like backwards. Um, at the same development time that Red Bull was taking huge leaps forward. Mm-hmm. Williams, by turn, they had had back-to-back third-place years. I really thought that they were going to start to actually challenge for second. Yeah. Um, And they were struggling for fifth. I mean, it was... I just wanted to see Claire once again be able to wander around the Abu Dhabi paddock going, we beat Red Bull. (laughs) (laughs) That was really all I was hoping for. Those four words, again. Yeah. So what Seb said, he said, we are working very hard. We are very committed. Of course, we wanted something else this year. For many reasons, it didn't happen. Overall, the car has been a good step from last year. Our performance was actually better than the, ra- than the results showed at times, but circumstances weren't always the best. Nevertheless, we can be proud of this year. We're not, excuse me, nevertheless, we can't be proud of this year. We're not because we went into the season wanting to fight for the championship. The target for next year is very clear. It's an enormous challenge for all the teams and ourselves to get the cars ready for next year because there are so many changes. And the battle for 2017, that tech battle and development battle, very much underway. Oh, well, yeah. Has been for months. So over to Sauber. Okay. Since you mentioned Monish. Yeah, because I assume you had nothing to add for to go with Seb's comments there. I mean, we did. There, there's, there's not there's not a whole lot more to say there. I mean, yeah, there. Seb, you're right. Great. Yeah. Moving on. Um, Sauber has named one of their drivers for 2017. Who? Marcus Erickson has confirmed to be returning to the team for 2017. But what remains unknown is Felipe Nasser. That's a big deal because there's a lot of people talking about the fact that we could have a grid next year without a Brazilian driver. Well, it doesn't help that uh, Felipe has apparently lost his main sponsor of Banco de Brazil. Uh, The bank has announced that uh, they have, quote, interrupted their 2017 sponsorship program. And this, this isn't like a short term relationship. They have sponsored. Um, they've sponsored Felipe since like he was in. Where is it? F two. Mm. It it was a real. They've had a really long time since his junior racing days is what we've got. So he's been associated with the bank for a very long time, 
and the bank has turned around and announced that they're not doing it. Um, so rumor has it that Pascal Verline is rumored to be the leading contender to take Felipe's place if Sauber is unable to conclude a deal with him. Interesting. Yeah. Because Verline's a Mercedes boy, isn't he? Well, he's in the, the Mercedes program. But I think it's going to be a matter of who can offer the money. Mm-hmm. And clearly Sauber is going to be looking for more money. Yeah, but does that leave Manor in a lurch if Verline goes? I'm sure there are options that, that could be sent down to Manor. Nasser. Well, the problem with Nasser is they want money. Uh, and Nasser, Nasser not is not going to have the money. So in, unless they can come up with some way to, or, or somebody can get him some money. And I don't know if, I don't know whose program Nasser is actually tied to. Well, I mean, I'm sure that there are some people that could, are wanting to return to Formula One. I mean. Well, the other thing, we, we also need to remember about Sauber. They have made the questionable decision to keep their 2016 Ferrari engines throughout the year and develop other parts of the car instead of getting upgraded engines. Correct. So would a move from Manor to Ferrari or, or to Sauber actually be remotely intelligent? Well, there's definitely that question too because I've not yet heard of a driver going from Sauber to like an A-level team. Um... Well, you've got Sergio Perez. Did he start in Sauber? He he spent some time at Sauber. Nico Hulkenberg did. Uh, I think it was 2013 where his last half of that season, he was doing incredible in that car. Okay. The, there have been some, some... So you go from Sauber to a mid-level team. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to take work to get moving up out of Sauber. I mean, that's the reality. Especially in their current state. So let's talk a little about Lewis. Now, as you recall, and some of this may be just Lewis's game that he likes to play of manipulating the media and the fans. And, and let's be clear, he does like manipulating the media and the fans. But you may recall that going into this season, there were some changes made in the garage with engineers and mechanics from both sides of the garage switching sides. Mm -hmm. And Lewis at one point, uh, possibly around race three, saying that, uh, yeah, you know, he didn't have these kinds of problems with his garage the way it used to be. Yes. Well, there was some talk in some of the run-up to this week um regarding the garage situation i guess in press conference with lewis and nico together um nico said nico defended the, t- the decision about mixing it up um his words were that uh, we've been fighting for three years we're fighting for race wins and championships and it's quite natural that a little separation can ha- happen between the two sides of the garage for overall team performance that is not a good thing You want great team spirit, everybody fighting for one direction and working together. And that is why the decision was taken to rotate a little bit. So now let's go to Lewis's response. Lewis said, 
I want to hear the reason you were given to Rosberg. Then said, you'll have to buy my book in 10 years' time to find out exactly what happened. It will be an interesting read. Interesting. (laughs) Clearly, Lewis is still a little bitter about that whole thing. I can understand that. And as Lewis's season took a turn, I'm sure it got more and more contentious. In the lead up to this race, and I don't know if you read this little story because it's not it's not something that would have attracted you. Um, Lewis announced who his inspiration was towards the last week of the race, of the last week. Was it Nicole Scherzinger? It was not. Muhammad Ali? No. Nelson Mandela? No. Okay, because all of those he's named at one point or another. Possibly this season. Yeah. Um, except Nicole. Um, Venus Williams. Venus is the latest inspiration. That, that's his latest inspiration. Not so, Serena can go jump off of here, <laughs> but Venus, that's the latest one now. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's all Venus. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that the Williams sisters have been appearing at some of the races lately. I think we only we, we saw them at two. We saw them. Not together. No, not together. <laughs> we saw, I think Venus was at um, Austin and Serena was at Mexico. Something like that. Or Brazil. One of the two. But yeah. yeah. But they have appeared at races. Well, according to Mr. Oh, Lindsey Vaughn. That was the other one that, that was following him around for a stretch. Yeah, but she broke her leg. Yeah. Um, no, according to him, yeah, this is where it really amused me. Venus and Lewis have very similar relationships with their fathers and come from similar family backgrounds with fathers in charge and things like that. Now, Serena apparently had none of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes, he he was taking inspiration and was looking to Venus as his inspiration for this final race. Now, what I – okay, I'm I'm not completely sure that's a good match for lead-up to the final race, but I don't recall – that the Williams sisters had the falling out with their dad over their career the way Lewis did. I think at some point that dad I don't had recall. to back off. Now, I don't know if it was the the big big fight that I need you to be my dad and not my manager. Yeah. But I have one other thing before we can start about talking about the race and everything else. No, I'm going to talk about gents. Okay. That works better than the next thing I have. Okay. So Jensen, yes, it is somewhat related to the race and that this is his final race of— No, he's treating it like it's his final race. I hadn't gotten to that part yet. (sighs) It's his final race of his current contract in the weird oddball iteration that it has. Okay. Um, One of the things that he has said, though, in the lead-up to this week is that his decision to not race in 2017 was made too early. Yes. Um, what he's because he made the announcement in uh, at the Italian Grand Prix back in September, and what he said was that he wasn't exp- even though he I guess somebody had told him he doesn't say who, but somebody had told him that if you make the decision that early in the season that it affects your overall mindset, you know you, you get senioritis in a yeah. nutshell. It, it, he didn't believe it. He didn't think it was true, and he said, "Yeah, actually, it, it did." Um, <laughs> he thinks that August was still too early, um, but at the end, it, it actually affected his mindset a whole lot more than he expected it to. And it, if he could have done differently, he would not have made the decision as early as he did. Well, I think that that's a piece of honesty right there. 
Um, but he is also, and he has said it now in several outlets, where he was not saying it back in September, he is now approaching this that he believes that this will be his final F1 event, his final F1 race. Yes. Now, what he has emphasized, though, is that while this will be his final F1 race, he is not retiring from racing. To the point that he said that, well, what he said is that nothing has changed. I'm just going into it, into this race thinking it's my last. I don't want to go into it thinking it's my last and then it turned, or it's phrased a little weird here. And actually, let me go back a little bit further. He says, I go into this weekend thinking it is going to be my last race. That is the best way to be at this moment of time. Beyond that, I don't want to be racing in F1. That is the whole idea. I think of this as my last race, and hopefully everyone does. But he says nothing has changed. I'm just going into this race thinking it is my last. I don't want to go in thinking it isn't my last, and then it turns out it is my last. Um, he says he wants his option to be raced in 2018 as just a possibility, but it's one he currently does not favor. Um, he says, it's true I have a contract for 2018, but at this moment in time, I am not going to be racing in 2018. The whole idea about having a contract is, is that in three months' time, when I have eaten myself stupid and thinking of things to do in the future, maybe I realize I need F1 back in my life. But in this moment of time, that isn't the case. So this is my last race, and that is how I think about it at the moment. Who knows, this could change in six to eight months or one year. But he has also said that he does not believe that this is the end of his racing career, and he is hoping that he can actually be racing as late as 70. But it's a matter of whether or not he's going to get paid to race or he will be paid, paying to race. But he wants to be involved in motorsports and racing for some time to come, just not in Formula 1. And he also wants to pick up a lot more triathlon work. That's where a passion of his is right now, yes. too. Um, so racing could take very different forms also. Um, I just thought of something, you know, this idea that he has a contract so that in three months, if he's, you know, he needs F1, he can go back. It's like you break up with your boyfriend and you leave their phone number in your contacts list just in case you need the 2 a.m. phone call. Yeah. <laughs> well... In honor of Jensen's last race, mm -hmm. I want to play this clip from 2009. Okay. Very, very important year to Jensen Button. Get in there, Jensen. Fantastic. Well done. Mix one, pick up rubber. Awesome job. Unbelievable. He should never sing, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Race, fantastic. Sing, not so much. <laughs> and that says a lot coming from me. Brazil 2009. Yes. When uh, Jensen won his world championship. And I mean, in a way, I there's that part of me that's like, I feel sorry for Jensen. He's not had the opportunities to truly excel like I thought he could have 
you know, again, we go back to that's that trifecta of things that you need to do well in Formula One, and timing is the key. Yeah. Um, but unlike Massa, it's a matter of he came so close and missed it, and so you feel sorry for him that he probably should have had a world championship and just didn't get it there because, again, timing. At least Jensen has a world championship. He's got a phenomenal career ahead of him, no matter what he chooses to do. Kind of really hoping that it's commentary. <laughs> um, and Commentary has, on a network we can watch. That would be even better. Um, and if nothing else, he has a fabulous friendship with uh, Mark Webber. Mark Webber and David Cothard. Yes. And a good portion of the grid in general. Well, yeah. Um, he's a, much like a lot of the people, he's a, he's a very loved character. I mean, clearly, if you follow several of the drivers' Twitter and Instagram feeds, Jensen features in many of the videos that they post. He seems like he'd be a good time guy. Yeah. And, I mean, he is an elder statesman. He's got to be a grown-up on a grid full of teenagers. <laughs> so I can understand that. But um, it's been a good run. I'm going to miss him. I hope that he, like Weber, comes back and does at least some spots here and there. Yeah. So we have already gotten word of some rule changes for 2017, and I'm sure we will hear more. Um the teams, all 11 team principals met with Bernie Eccleston for a 30-minute meeting in the paddock on Friday afternoon uh, to discuss uh, potential rules changes. And one that they have agreed to, and I'm not sure about this, is that they are going to be bringing standing restarts to the races after a safety car period. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, it's about it's, – it's all about the show, and you know that. Um, Gunther Steiner confirmed that this was, this has actually happened. And his statement was, it spices the show up. It's a good thing. We'll all love start. We all love starts and there's a risk and that's, and where there's also reward. Some will win, some will lose. And if it brings life to the sport, like it was in the old days, then that's a long way we can go. Well, the, the first question I have regarding this is that if you're going to do a standing restart after a safety car period, why have a safety car period? Mm-hmm. If you're go- that's what it's going to lead to, then just red flag the race instead of bringing out a safety car. Line everybody up on the grid and let them sit there up until the track is clear and have your restart instead of even running a safety car at all. Well, the problem with that is the red flag and line them up on the grid, you can't keep those tires warm. At the very least, you can get them somewhat warm. But you don't need to keep the tires warm because the minute you red flag the race, the teams can do whatever they want to the cars. Right, but then you've got including teams put on, on the, brand new tires. But then you've got teams out on the on the track and then you've got to clear them from the track. It's just further delay. That's my only thought. And yeah, there's but also again, the brand new tires. And what was it? It was the Brazil Grand Prix where Lewis Hamilton technically didn't have a tire change. Yeah, and and there's been several others. But here's the other thing: if you yes, the teams are going to be on the grid working on the cars while the the marshals are out there. But along the same lines, the marshals then are a whole lot safer because they're not trying to do their job as the safety car is running by trying to go and you know, continue 
counting off laps. Oh, and, yeah. ha- and how is that going to work with lapped cars? I know. You know, are they going to be allowed to... Unlap themselves? Unlap, or is you, you just start from wherever that point is? I, I don't know. Um, d- well, we'll see what actually happens. Just because they agreed doesn't necessarily make it so. And remember, last year we got the really screwed up qualifying that lasted all of two races. So... Yeah. But we don't get safety cars as often, so it, it may take a bit before they figure out whether or not this is a disaster. Right. So this week, the last race of the season, and like everybody does, they create the special intro. Mm-hmm. So for us, we have one as well. The 2016 season, a record-breaking 21 races across six continents. One team, two teammates, one from a working-class family in Stephen N. England, and now a globe-trotting international celebrity with three world champions of his own. The other, born to a racing family, who in his 10-year Formula One career surpassed his father's achievements in every statistic but one world champion friends and rivals since they were teenagers when they dreamed of having the chance to race each other for the title in 2016 it comes down to one race this is the abu dhabi grand prix okay i didn't say it wouldn't be cheesy Wow, overly <laughs> dramatic much? <laughs> How many takes did that take? Okay, but before you even go with the, the overly dramatic much, let's go back to BBC's um, intro. What was it? It was 2014 with the two kids playing the, oh, the slot the cars. Best. Yes. So let, let's not even go with the overly dramatic much. I mean, come on. Well, Anything you- that Eddie Jordan does to introduce a race? Okay. I'll grant you there. Do you remember the first year that we watched Formula One where we had like seven winners and seven races yep. and it was eight winners and eight races? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one got overly dramatic quick <laughs> too. All right. Um, so this is it. The final option. Now. Yeah. You know, I just want to be clear. I could have gone with the trope. The overused stereotype and gone with Final Countdown, and I did not. Thank you. From I the just, bottom of my heart. I just want to make you. that clear, that I did not do that. Yes, but now that you have mentioned that you did not do that, you might as well have done that. No. Anyway, so this is it. This is the final race, 21 races, and the rules are very simple. Qualifying yesterday, Lewis has got pole. Nico is in P2. It's very, very simple. If Nico is on the podium at all, he is a world champion. If Lewis does not win and keep Nico off the podium, he does not have world championship. I mean, it's pretty basic. But even before that, we have the final track facts from Renault. Oh. They're important. Okay. Some good stuff here. Now, this is, of course, prior to today's race, which we did watch. Okay. 
So up until today, actually, it's still the same today, the lowest starting position for a winner was fourth. Okay. Average starting position for the winner, 2.00. Okay. Highest G-force at turn three for 2.2 seconds is 4.6 G, and there was a 29% chance of a safety car. However, one of the telling statistics was going into this weekend, the number of winners from pole, and this isn't that old a race. I think it's only been around for about six or seven years. There have only been two winners from pole position. This year, three, but before that, there was only two. But, you know, not a lot. So some facts about the, 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 the country and the track. 5,056 glass panels from the outer shell of the Yaz Hotel at the Yaz Marina Circuit and are they oh form not from let's start that over again 5,056 glass panels form the outer shell of the Yaz Hotel at the Yaz Marina Circuit and are looked after by a team of 15 abseiling window cleaners it takes them one month to clean the whole exterior of the building wow the Burj Khalifa skyscraper in Dubai, the world's tallest building, is seven times bigger than Big Pen. The Statue of Liberty would fit comfortably in the lobby of the Burj Al Arab Hotel. The lobby. <laughs> ski Dubai in the UAE is the first indoor ski resort in the Middle East and has 22,500 square meters covered with real snow for skiing. And the UAE has an average temperature of 33.4 degrees Celsius, which I did not convert over. It's hot. Really hot. Um, across the year with 25 days of rain at a total of 94 millimeters. There are no rivers in the UAE. So it's hot and dry. Yes. Um, tire selection for the weekend was the ultra soft, the super soft, and the soft. So this was the last time this season you got to see the Snuggle Bear tires. They held them till the end. Yes. Just for you. Um, Just for me, personally. Yes. Okay. The lap record, which I believe was broken this year, was set by Sebastian Vettel in 2009 at 1 minute 40.279 seconds. It's a 5.554 kilometer uh, length of track with a race distance of 305.355 kilometers. Now, Renault in Abu Dhabi as both a constructor and an engine supplier, 42 starts, four wins, seven podiums, three poles, four fastest laps, and 227 total points. But the moment that everybody remembers from Abu Dhabi would be Kimi Raikkonen on the radio getting information from his team, which, by the way, he won that race, and responding with, just leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. Yes. It's made T-shirts worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> Kimi. Being Kimi. Um, all right, so those are your Renault track facts. Renault track facts. All right. Abu Dhabi not traditionally known to being an exciting race. Yeah. Today, not all that much different. There were moments in the 55 laps where it was interesting, but they were mere moments. Well, you know, if you were Toro Rosso, 
your exciting moments came in FP1 and 2 and in the lead up to qualifying where you had to negotiate with the FIA to find out whether or not they'd even let you let the cars qualify. Well, there's that. <laughs> that was your exciting time. Yeah. Um, moving forward to other people's exciting times. On lap one, Max Verstappen wound up at the back of the pack. He did. Um, racing incident. And I'll, I'll agree with that. I mean, it yeah. was uh, turn one, lots of cars going tight. I mean, th- there were some interesting racing moments early on in the race. And then we got to about the midway point and everybody strung out and it kind of fell apart again yeah i i gotta say i'm just not a fan of abu as as much as it's cool the way it goes through sunset and and the visuals of the hotel and all that are cool i don't think that's worthy of this track being the season finale it doesn't create a whole lot of drama it's pretty but it's got huge runoff areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's flat. And it's very flat. But it doesn't have the drama that you would want when you've got two people that are racing to the very bitter end like this. Well, not just the drama that you want, but, you know, Brazil was known, and just like we saw this year, because of those changing weather conditions, anything can happen. And mm-hmm. we have had some incredible season enders because of the fact that that weather plays such a huge part in those races and those weekends. You don't get those variables in Abu Dhabi. And you never will. No. no. All right. So the best... So as we're fighting for the title bout here, the best that could be hoped for for Lewis was that he'd win the race and that he could possibly have pushed Nico back, that he would have been susceptible to either an incident with Ferrari or Red Bull or to get passed by two people. He had to come in fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, everybody sit down, because if you haven't watched the race yet, I'm about to spoil it for you. Lewis Hamilton wins the race. Nico comes in second and wins the world championship. And all of the media, within an hour of the race ending... The media that I have read, every headline reads, Nico Rosberg, world champion, colon, did he deserve it? Oh, for crap's sake. Seriously. Now, I'm the first one to tell you that I honestly believe that Lewis Hamilton is a better driver. He's a more aggressive driver. He's more on the edge. He takes on bigger paper, ra- all the statistics Everything are Everything says he's a better driver. And he won 10 races this year. Mm-hmm. All of those things. However... However, comma, the driver with the most points deserves the world championship. He had a better season. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Although, since you mentioned it, that Nico had um, the 10 wins this season. Lewis had 10 or, wins. Or, Lewis had? Lewis had 10. Okay. No other driver in history has won 10 races and lost a world championship. That's right. There, there's one other statistic that needs to go along with that, is that okay? We had 21 races this season. All but two of those races were won by a Mercedes driver. Yes. And those two races were won by Red Bulls. That was it. I mean, yes, Mercedes dominated it. Red Bull did pretty damn well too. And we we went into this season predicting that Red Bull was going to be a joke. Yeah. Now, 
keep in mind, this is a far cry from where we came from, what was it, four years ago, three, four years ago, where it was eight drivers in eight races. Yeah. Um, to have 19 of 21 races won by one of two drivers from one team. Yeah. Um, now, we have heard the Muppet-haired dictator declare that he thinks that the point system should be thrown out and that the driver with the most wins should win the championship. If that was, oh, the, was that his latest that was That was one of the things he wanted to do. Uh. Um, and if that had happened, then Lewis would have won the championship. But much like the electoral process in the United States, <laughs> that what you want may not be what you get. We follow the rules as they are written. And the rules state he with the most points wins the championship. And Nico, by five points, won the championship. Well, you know, it, it's not just that. Truly what everyone wanted, what all the media hopes for, what everybody says in the paddock is they want the race, they want the championship to come down to the last turn of the last lap of the last race of the season. They got it. And they got pretty dang close to that. Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> one of the things, and so going into this race, people were talking about, well, what's Lewis's strategy going to be? What's Lewis's strategy going to be? And I told, I told Michael, and I will say this again, that... The thing I did not like about the way the season summed up was that Lewis was completely at the mercy of everybody else on that track. He didn't get to control the race. He, yes, he could win the race, mm-hmm. but his winning the race didn't win him the championship. That's that's that last turn at the last on the last race in the last lap. Yeah. That that's that that thing of whoever wins the championship wins the race wins the championship. That would be ideal. Lewis had to win. That's all Lewis could do. Yeah. But where Nico fell in the order was up to everybody else as to whether they could get around Nico or Nico seized under pressure. And quite frankly, and this is something to Nico's credit. Nico seizes under pressure from Lewis. Yes. He does not tend to seize under pressure from anybody else on that grid. And so when Max was putting pressure on Nico, Nico was staying with it. When Vettel put pressure on Nico, Nico stood with it. And Nico maintained and earned that second place 100%. And Lewis did the only thing that was viable that he could do. Lewis backed Nico up to increase pressure on him. And... No matter how many radio calls from the team that said, go faster, get him out of the way, go, keep going, Lewis did what Lewis could do. The only other option that was a viable option was that Lewis try to cause some sort of contact with Nico that took Nico out, but he would have put himself at risk. Those were the only two active well, options that, he but had. Lewis is not that kind of a driver. He's not. He, he's just not. He, he's not going to go and, and deliberately cause a wreck and put either one of them at risk like that. He's just not going to do that. But when it came to backing him up, what was backing Nico up, what was interesting was earlier this week at the team uh, principals press conference, Christian Horner weighed in. Now, what mm-hmm. I don't know is whether or not Christian volunteered this information on his own or if somebody asked him, as they are known to do, 
Um, but Christian weighed in that he felt that that was Lewis's best strategy, mm-hmm. that he should back Nico up into the Red Bulls because Christian believed that the Red Bulls would be right back there behind them, pushing it, n- nipping at their heels. Um, to which later on in his press conference, Lewis ruled that out and said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to push Nico back, and I'm, I'm not going to go that route. Clearly, Lewis realized as we got deeper into the race that he didn't have much choice. Yeah. I don't blame Lewis for doing it. No. I, I, I find absolutely no fault with Lewis trying that as a strategy. Along the same lines, I don't find fault with the team for telling Lewis not to do it and trying to convince Lewis to go faster. But I also think the team would should be rather foolish and rather naive if they actually thought Lewis was going to listen to those orders. If what you say is what that you want is the race drivers making calls and decisions and racing, mm-hmm. you have to accept that a fundamental proper strategy is to back your opponent up into traffic. And that's what he did, and that's viable and reasonable. And there's nothing wrong with the team going, Lewis, get put your foot on the gas and get out of there, any more than it's Lewis going, I'm going to win this race one way or the other. And mm-hmm. he's if he's going to get second, he's going to fight for it. And that's what Lewis did. And you know something? I have no problem with it. I also have no problem that Nico won the championship. Yeah. Well, all you needed to know to know to predict Lewis's position is go back last year to China. Mm-hmm. And you remember that race in China where Lewis won and Nico was all pissed off because he accused Lewis of driving slow and backing him up into the Ferraris. And, Lu- and Nico was mad as hell over it. And Lewis's response in the press conference was, it's not my job to look after Nico's race. I run my own race. And Nico's response is, well, there you go. He's only looking out for himself. Well, yeah, he is, and absolutely he should be. And, you know, I'm dying to hear what Cothard has to say on the subject. And I'll tell you the reason. Because Cothard is a team man. He is. When he ran for Red Bull... And he's often said very candidly that he did not get a world championship, not just because he didn't win enough races, but because he he would take the step back for the team. Mm-hmm. And I've always seen Nico as being more of a team-focused man than Lewis, which is one of the reasons why I've always said he'd come second to Lewis. So I'm anxious to hear what Cothart has to say on the subject. But the truth of the matter is Lewis is a team man up until the point that those cars come home. He will fight for himself, but he is not one to aggressively put, take the other driver out. He's not that. that he won't do that. He yeah. won't go and stoop that level. But he's going to drive his race. Mm-hmm. His race said very quickly, your only hope of winning is if somebody overtakes Nico twice. Yeah. So you've got to put Nico in a position of being overtaken. And it almost happened. But by the same token... Vettel finally was able to step up and make that third step <laughs> on the podium. I mean, let's just let's honor that too. Verstappen, Max, I would be stunned if timing and the only thing that would prevent that man from becoming a world championship world champion in the next ten years is timing. 
is that the car that he's driving is not the best at his peak at the right time. Because he's such a great driver. He went from the back of the grid on the first lap to fighting for second to then his tires went out from underneath him and he wound up, what, fourth? Yeah. I mean... Because he was fighting as hard as he was. And he fought as hard as he was. Max is going to be a a driver to really watch. He's aggressive. He's got to learn some control and all of those pieces. But I think that he's going to become a world champion as long as he's got a car that's cutting edge of the technology. If they can put him in the car that's winning, that's the strongest car on the grid, he'll be a world champion. Well, I I think one of the the things, the storylines to watch over the next couple of months and into winter testing, which by the way, is only about two months away, three months away. It's not that far off. Yay. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the stories it's gonna that bears watching is how involved Adrian Newey is going to be in the development of that 2017 car with these new rules mm-hmm. because these cars are going to be even more aero-dependent, and Adrian Newey is just a genius when it comes to the aero. And... Now that that Renault engine, it, well, for them it's a tag engine, but now that that engine seems to be coming on its own, could we actually see the Adrian Newey wizardry with Arrow overtaking the Mercedes technical prowess? That could be an interesting battle because, quite frankly, that is the next horizon of the battle is, is tech versus Arrow, and mm-hmm. what is that going to look like? Um, now, I know that you are vastly curious about something. Okay. What does being world champion mean to Nico Rosberg? It means that he has, as we mentioned in our intro, he has finally beat or matched all of the accomplishments of his father. Correct. Oh, there's more? Yes. Oh. He got a goodie bag. Did he now? He got a whole swag bag of stuff. Mercedes gave him a keychain? Yeah, they, it, it floats. And a, and a t-shirt? It floats. <laughs> he got a t-shirt. And a t-shirt. Yeah. No, um, there are, there's all sorts of things that come with being a world champion. Now, I know that you realize that Lewis has seen the inside of this goodie bag three times. Seb has seen it four. Yeah. Um, Schumacher has seen it seven. So, you know. It's, 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 it's a big deal. Now, the first thing and foremost is that um, the driver gets paid a world champion bonus. Yeah. Now, what, exactly what that is is in his contract. We don't know the details of it. But Lewis Hamilton, when he won his second world title, um, was believed to have been paid out about five million pounds. So now my question, and, and this is something that we'll never know, is my understanding is that the drivers also get paid bonuses based on the number of points that they win in a season do you is he also entitled to the points bonus in addition to the world championship bonus or if you get the world you know it's one or the other you get the world championship bonus you don't get the points bonus too i don't know i'm just curious I, I don't know that. It's all detailed out in a contract that I don't have yeah. privy to, to get to read. But he does get a bonus. But that's not the only bonus that gets paid out. Um, 
And I thought five million pounds was not very much. No, so I'm guessing it's with a po- points bonus also. However, the it also adds a little pay to the packets of the Mercedes team. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like about every one of their 700 staff members will receive at least a 10,000 pound bonus for having the world championship right. on that. Um, right now, down now, is that for the drivers or for the constructors? Because I know they also get a bonus for constructors. That is for the drivers. Okay, so they get drivers and, and constructors. The constructors. Um, and this bonus, by the way, goes all the way down to the people that sweep the floors in Brackley. Mm-hmm. If, if you so much as work there. Well, one of the other things, and I don't know if they're doing it this year, but they have done it in the past, was, and I think they did it in 2013. Um, Mercedes made for every race that they won a commemorative medallion. And so everybody in the factory and, and across the team, when they won a race, got the commemorative medallion. And the goal was they you get all of them if they win throughout the whole season. There was a case that came with it to, to display the commemorative <laughs> medallion. I don't think they ever they they produced the case even with the gaps. But oh, that's kind of funny because they haven't won. They haven't swept a season. And they wanted to this year. They they thought they were gonna be able to um, sweep a season. Now the next thing that. Uh, Nico will get will be the honor of being able to have number one on his car. Yep. Now, this is a tradition that started with Emerson Fittipaldi. 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 Um, and continued all the way through until Hamilton won his title. Correct. Um, Hamilton was the first one in a, a very long time to continue to drive in a car numbered 44. Now, we know 44 means a lot to Hamilton, and he would not give it up once they could choose their own numbers. But, and that, that was the key thing, because that was also the year that they were allowed to choose their own numbers. Because I'm betting that, well, actually, he wouldn't have had a choice. The, the if they weren't allowed to choose their numbers the, and they were still working under the previous selection, the, the previous way numbers were assigned, he would have gone with number one at that point because his other option would have been, I think, three and four. Right. Or two and three because it, it, it was based on the constructor's championship was where those, those numbers were assigned otherwise. Right. So it, it only made sense – if he didn't take 44 to take one. Right. And he took one when he won in 2000 for the 2009 series. Right. He wouldn't he have had, a choice. He didn't have a choice. Um, it was 2005 when he decided to stick with um, the 44. Mm-hmm. Um, now, apparently that has been his number for any time that he was allowed to pick a number. It was 44 yeah. all the way back to his carding days. Because um, of the Senna's number. Now... Rosberg can show off his status as number one driver if he wants if a tweet from January 2014 has anything to go by, he's more likely to stick with number six. It is both his father KK's car number and his um, then fiance now wife's favorite number. Of course it is. Just saying. I'm guessing, though, that it wasn't her favorite number until they were dating and then engaged. And then once they got married, it became cemented as permanently her favorite number. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Now, I don't think that it's tattooed on her much like 44 is tattooed onto Lewis. But, you know, it is her favorite number. So therefore, yeah, maybe they'll have six children. I don't know. <laughs> um, he does get the driver's championship trophy. Gets his name put for on a the year. for a year. And he gets a black tie to do 
when he gets the to- yes. trophy. So there's a big party. Um, Do you think Lewis kept it nice and shiny? I, I well, I don't know. You know, Lewis has been jet setting. Maybe he hasn't been home to polish it a few times. There's going to be a sticker on it in the spot where Nico's name is going to get engraved that says your name here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, there's um, beyond just the to do for the trophy. There are other parties um, that he will have to go to. Um, apparently, in 1976, when world champion James Hunt was asked in an interview what his immediate plans were after winning the world championship. And this is his quote, I shall be getting drunk. Well, that sounds just like James Hunt. Um, so, yes. So that that is in the list of um, the, the goodie bag items that he can do. Um, and then he also gets to technically take the rest of the year off. Well, until January 1st. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. There's there's other little bits and pieces along the way. Um, apparently, uh, Schumacher got a street sign. I mean, there's all sorts of different op- opportunities for uh, Rosberg as only the third German driver to win a world champion. Well, see, that's the question is that, yes, he's the third German driver to win, but he doesn't actually live in Germany. And I don't think any of his family actually lives in Germany, even though he races under the German flag. So if he was to get a street sign or a corner or something. He's considered Germany. What what town would be considered his hometown to do something like that and to give him some kind of an honor like that since he's always lived in Monaco? But I mean, that, that, is, where, where Schumacher, at least, he grew up in Germany. And he had a, has a hometown in Germany that I don't think Nico has. Well, I'm sure it's the Rossberg homestead, something or other. But they said on the on the TV multiple times that he's the third German driver to win the world champion. Mm-hmm. What's KK? KK's Finnish. Oh, his, Nico's, his mother was German. Right. Okay. KK's Finnish. All right. That's what I kept wondering. I'm like. Technically, Nico is German Finnish. Monacan, yeah, some other. Oh, so he's an American. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> he's a melting pot of, yeah. of things. Anyway, so that's kind of a, a summary of his goodie bag. And um, I want to reiterate that while I was wrong in my prediction of who would win the world championship I this think year, we were all wrong. And a lot of people were very wrong. I want to make sure that it does not go unnoticed that i am saying that nico deserved the championship that oh you you want to make it clear that you feel yes. Like yes he definitely does and congratulations to him um and to mercedes on the constructors championship and even though they dominated the way they dominated for truly giving us a really good season yes it's been a very good season and this tweet just in Nico Rosberg says that beyond winning the world championship, the best thing about his day was getting congratulations from the bloke and the bird. Okay. He tweeted that and finished, didn't he? Totally. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we'll cue Barbie. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay.
Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.